If you have your Bible, you can open up to Mass, uh, Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Malachi 3 is where we've been. And we've been discussing uh, in Malachi for several weeks, and, and really even before Malachi 1, the issues concerning the treatment of God's temple, the treatment of the place where his Holy Spirit dwelt, the Shekinah glory of God at certain points in physical manifestations of brightness and cloud existed and dwelt in this temple. And it was the epitome of God saying, I am with you. And because it was the house where God's Holy Spirit lived, the temple was very holy. It was the holiest place on the earth. And the people of Israel were being judged by God in the way that they were treating the temple. And there are two major ways we've already seen in Malachi about this evaluation that the Lord God had for these people. One was the sacrifices, the burnt offerings. The people were giving their least when they were supposed to be giving their best for the temple ministry. The priests were offering their least when they were supposed to be offering their first fruits. And so this was a grievous sin against God and a dishonoring of him because the temple was the place where God dwelled. So what they did to the temple, they were doing to God. And the second way that we saw the people were failing was more broadly that the whole population was failing in the sense that they weren't bringing the commanded tithe to God. And that was what our whole message was about last week. Um, if you haven't heard that message, it should be online this week. Uh, Josh will put it up there. But that was about the continuities and the discontinuities between the covenants regarding giving, financially in particular. We talked about what the tithe was in the Old Testament what that meant and didn't mean for us in the New Testament believers. But if you remember, the basic point there was that our dealings with our wealth in regard to giving was saying something about where our hope was, where our trust was. And just as the people were stealing and robbing from God by withholding their tithes so we can deny God his glory and not being generous because we're saying, God, you can't take care of me. And we don't give you the glory that you deserve as my sustainer and my source. And ultimately what that does is it dishonors God again. But, but the connection too is there with his temple because these tithes and offerings were supposed to support the temple ministry, the ministry of the priest, their livelihood, as well as the upkeep of the temple. So we drew these analogies to the support of churches and missions to care for the needy in their midst to support those who preach and teach as laid out in the New Testament, but we saw this broader application. There's a broader application, though, in these things. We talk about the temple, how Malachi's people were treating the temple. Because in the New Testament, the temple of God is no longer stone and gold made by God's people. In the New Testament, the temple is God's people. The temple corporately together is God's people. So an important corollary to our giving of our gifts or the giving of our sacrifices to the temple as in Malachi's day is the giving of ourselves to the temple that is God's people. That is the giving of our hearts and everything that follows time, treasure, and talents to the temple of God, which is his church. Not as a building of stone, but as a community of believers called to be faithful to one another in a local church. So this morning I want to come back to this basic idea of God's temple, the local church, and why we should be devoted to the local church from God's word. You know, when, when I was preparing this week, I had a second COVID test, and I was, I was, I got rocked by this second uh, vaccine. 
And I knew uh, in the week that I, I didn't feel like I had the energy to, to, to go fresh, create a brand new message. But as I was praying, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a particular message that was on my heart. Um, one of my favorite stories from the Bible, the, the Samaritan woman. And I wanted to go through that with you because it's such an encouragement to me and I want to share that encouragement with you. And I, I sensed in my prayer, as I prayed about this, that the Lord was saying, no, come back to this. And I'm afraid of, you know, oh, another message on church and being a good church member. You know, I don't want to weary you with it. And I don't want to, you know, I'd rather talk just about Jesus and his stories. I thought this morning that I was processing there, because I, I, I couldn't let go of it in my conscience. Okay, if I'm going to be faithful in my, what I think God is saying, I'm going to have to do this message. And I, I um, thought about that, that line in, in Malachi 1 where the people who are bringing their offerings they're saying about it this thing that just breaks God's heart they're, they're bringing their offerings to God as he's commanded and they're saying in their hearts what weariness what weariness this is and I could feel that in my heart like oh another message on church membership <laughs> I could feel my heart going, what weirdness. And I could hear the fears in my heart of you all. Some of you all say, oh, what weirdness. Let's not do that. This is God's people. This is his bride. This is who he came and laid down his life for. So may I not do that. May you not do that. May we not apologize for calling one another to faithfulness to the temple where the very living God lives. His people in his local church. Could I ask Michael to pray for us this morning as we engage this issue? And Michael, you can use that mic right there. Hello? God, thank you for uh, being in our midst. Forgive us for not valuing your, your presence enough in our lives, in our hearts, because um, you truly are here with us always, in the worst and in the best times, God, and thank you for revealing yourself to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. God, your word is full of life and truth in and of itself. God, but our hearts in our flesh are, are hardened and we, we cannot hear and we cannot see, we cannot perceive. But God, through your blood and through your sacrifice, you've pursued us and you've opened a way so that we can know you so that we can have true life and meaning, God. And I pray that this morning, as your people, as your house, your temple, God, that we would honor and glorify you, God, by hearing and understanding your word as you speak it through Albert. God, use him as a vessel, because that's all he is. It's, it's your work. It's your power. It's your mercy. And I pray that you would give him clarity to communicate truth and that you would give our hearts the tenderness to receive what you've spoken to us, God. As the book of John says, that our joy might be full. God, that we might walk in your ways and experience your goodness and God that our lives would be changed God we believe that you will do this because you are faithful and so we thank you in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Thank you Michael Starting in verse uh, Matthew 
16, starting verse 13, I'll read through verse 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. jumped out at you most about that as I read it, but something that I think can just breeze right past us, the significance of it is verse 18. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we hear that, we might think, yeah, the church, gates of hell, you will not stand. But it's, if we really stop to think about it, it's so grave and so sobering. Because it, it's, I, I, it's much like, it's much like Noah. Down there in the valley, building the ark. And to be like, yeah, the flood's not going to get us. As opposed to looking out across the valley and to the city-states and saying, what's going on? Like, why is he building an ark? Why, why are those clouds so dark? There are many people and nations about whom it will not be said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, but rather hell has prevailed over this in God's judgment. So you didn't win. But they have gone into a crisis eternity of judgment and sorrow and grief. So the backdrop here, theologically, is couldn't be more grave. It's the reality of hell the eternal punishment awaiting all who will not repent and turn to Christ as the only Savior and Lord of all. It's against that horrible prospect that God is going to build something that hell will not be able to prevail against. And it's just easy for us to think about church and a local church like, oh, a local church, gotta go to church, gotta go to this thing in church. <laughs> well, we have to stop and say, what's God trying to do with this local church? He's trying to keep us safe from his judgment that is coming. Like, that's what this is. Like, let's not play around. Like, man, there's so many more fun community things we could do on a Sunday morning. There's a song that I heard when I was younger that's a song about Judas and Jesus. It's a conversation between Judas and Jesus. And uh, it's by a band I, I've listened to for a long time, and um, the, the verses have always really struck me for this recognition of the disconnect between what Jesus is often trying to explain and what he's thinking 
and the casualness or the dismissiveness that we can default to in the midst of the sobering realities of heaven and hell. And, you know, the verse goes, um, the first verse, this is Judas speaking to Jesus. He says, and he, in the, the context is Judas is in hell now. And he's, he has a chance to say something to Christ, which, of course, I don't believe is necessarily possible based on um, Scripture. But, but it's a poetic license. And he says, I haven't seen you in quite a while. I was down the hole, just passing time. The last time we met, it was a low-lit room. We were as close together as a bride and a groom. I'm speaking of the Last Supper. And then he says, we ate the food. We drank the wine. Everybody was having a good time. Except you. You were acting like it was the end of the world. That's the name of the song, Until the End of the World. So often, I think the disciples are just hanging out, having a good time, and there's Jesus talking again and again about the end of the world. And here he is again. The backdrop here is judgment to come and salvation from the judgment to come. And so against this horrible prospect of the judgment of God, Jesus says, I'm going to build something that will be able to stand up against that judgment that is coming, that will provide safety and security and life and hope in a world that is under God's judgment. And what is that thing? He says, it's the church. It's the gathered people of God. According to Jesus, it is this thing, the church, that no enemy, including Satan and hell itself, will be able to conquer. But let's think more carefully about how Jesus gets there. I want to go back to, to why Jesus ends up saying that. Let's listen to Peter's great confession here. Because that's so important for understanding the nature of the church. Peter is enlightened by God, Jesus says, to believe and announce to all the disciples. No one is saying this. He's saying, who do you say I am? They're saying you're John the Baptist. They're saying you're one of the prophets. And Peter has different understanding. And he declares, he's the only one who declares this, and it's not something he comes up with, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ who is to come, the one we've been waiting for, according to the Scriptures, the Son of the living God. And in response, Jesus says, God has done this. He's opened your eyes. This is real faith. This is supernatural sight. You didn't learn this. You're not just jumping on a bandwagon. God has opened your eyes to see this. Peter, you really see it. You do. And he says, based on that revelation that Peter has, that he sees the divine message, Jesus says, I'm going to build on that thing that happened in you, Peter. I'm going to build my church on that. Through the apostle, through Peter, and the revelation given to him, which will then, through Peter and through the apostles, be given to others, Jesus is going to build a community of people who have experienced what Peter has experienced. This is what the church is. A community of people, and at its core, what the church is, it's a community of people who have seen and believed the divine message of God about Jesus Christ. That's the church. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he is talking about the revelation given to man. That is what he builds his church on. It's the truth that Peter saw, which, when truly embraced by God's gift of revelation will birth a global family of people made up of local communities that hell will not conquer. So, I don't know if I'm, I feel like this is too clumsy. When we're talking about a church, when we commit to a church, we're not talking about a building on 4th Street, 
We're not talking about a worship service on Sunday. We're not talking about a program for youth or a certain denominational set of distinctives. We're talking about, we're committing to people who have received the revelation about Jesus Christ from God. That's what the church is. It is God's people who, because of their authentic faith in Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Do you see the connection between the revelation that Peter received and then Jesus saying, I'm building my church on this? That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, you're the most outspoken strongest of the apostles. He's saying, Peter, that revelation God just gave you, that's what's going to make my church. That's what's going to make my church. People who really see me. That's my church. It's people who really see me. It's not a building. It's not good guys, bad guys. It's people who really, by God's grace, see me. Jesus is. And because they really see him, they want to follow him. They want to trust him. They want to stake their lives on him. They want to give their hearts to him. That's the church. Does that make sense? Can you guys at least give me a nod that you're seeing that connection between the divine revelation given to Peter and Jesus saying launch point. That's it. So if that's what the church is, if it's God's people who, because of their authentic faith in Jesus, will prevail against the gates of hell, we can think of the church that way. We, we see two ways the Bible talks about those people. Okay? There's two ways the Bible talks about those people. Global way and a local way. A global way and a local way. It's not rocket science. The local ways are little pieces of the global way. So, first, the global way. The church is the universal body of all believers all over the world, in Turkmenistan, in America, in Canada, in Saudi Arabia. That's the way the Bible often talks about the church. That's the way I believe Jesus was talking about right there in, in Matthew 16. And all genuine, regenerate believers throughout history, whether they're part of a local church or not, all truly regenerate believers throughout history are part of this church. It's the most important definition of the church there is because if you're not part of that church, the global church of real born-again people, it doesn't matter if you're part of a local church visibly. If in your spirit you haven't been made new and put into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you can't make that happen by showing up at First Baptist and just joining membership you join a membership class at First Baptist or you know, Woodlawn Presbyterian because the Holy Spirit has already opened your eyes about Jesus Christ and you're already part of his church. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Anybody who doesn't make sense, just raise your hand really quick. Okay. <laughs> so the second way we can talk about the local church is the way the Bible does is so the second way we talk about the church is the local church. The local church. The, ch the, the church in the local sense is an organized group of usually geographically related Christians committed to worship Jesus together, grow in knowing each other, watching over each other, loving each other, serving each other, participating in the sacraments together, and trying to reach their local communities, hopefully together, but spurring each other on to do that, at least individually, when they're together. And they meet physically in a real time, in a real place. And of course, they also serve the universal church, right? A local church will often send money, send teachers, send out resources to sing the outer mission, the care for the persecuted church, to reach the lost outside their own geographical area. But in the Bible, it's, it's almost always as members of a local community that believers participate in the universal life of the church. In other words, the normal pattern in Scripture is that you are part of the big church by being part of the little church. 
There are exceptions. They're called apostles. But pretty much everybody else, there's maybe some in-betweens. If you're a part of the big church in the Bible, it's, it's expressed in being part of the little church. And you can't have one without the other. I remember talking with someone this year, and they were, they were angry about what was happening in the church in America regarding the response to COVID. And I won't go into the details because then we can argue about <clears throat> whether their anger is just fair or not. But the point was, they were bemoaning the fact that the church was doing this when they thought it should be doing this. And they weren't part of a local church. And I was like, you're saying you care so much about the church in America. But brother, I haven't seen you part of a local church in, in ages, long before COVID started. They said, are you telling me I don't care about the church? I don't care about the church? And I'm saying, I don't know. I know you're upset about this, but I kind of feel like if you cared about the church, biblically it's supposed to show up in you caring about the church. Like, Jesus doesn't call us to love people in abstraction, theoretically. He calls us to love people in practice where it's hard and great, but also hard. So what I think the Bible teaches is that when we become, by God's doing, part of the universal church, God's plan is that this is expressed in membership in a local body and living out that universal membership that's invisible and Holy Spirit done. Boom! As soon as you're saved, you're part of the global church, that you live that out in a local church that you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands. So to put it simply, belonging to the church is expressed in belonging to a church. And now I want to I show you from Scripture why I believe this, as quickly as I can, in four ways. I think there are four ways we see this most clearly in Scripture. Number one, the concept of the one another's implies commitment to a specific community of people where you can do those one another's. We consider Galatians 3, 12-15, for instance, and this is representative of several one another passages in Scripture you'd go to. But Colossians 3, 12-15 is beautiful. And it says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, and this is a New Living Translation, um, but it's, it's fine. I think it's honorable. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. It's such a beautiful classic example of the one another's. Lots of things to do for each other in here. We all know that our fallen nature is always telling us to worry about ourselves, think about ourselves, be concerned, look out for number one. The Lord says in a passage like this, hey, if you're going to follow me, you got to look out for your brothers and sisters. Because that's what I did. That's who I am. Laying my life down for you. And you're to be like me in this world, with me in you. So there's to be this constant pursuit of other-centered focus of our Christian lives that the Bible calls us to. Not just ourselves, but others as well. But consider the duh, like the duh reality here. Like, that's not news to any of you. But, but we can't do that unless we're connected to people, like actual real people. We can't, like I said to my friend, you, you hear all those things. You can't do any of those things unless you're really connected to specific, actual people. Like, yes, we're called to love all Christians in the universal church, but I can't do any of those things to the Turkmenistan Christians. I can't do it. I never see them, I never talk to them, I can't reach them, I can't touch them. 
So unless we're called to itinerant ministry, where we go from church to church in unusual circumstances typically, the usual picture in Scripture is that you are called to do things that can only be done in a local context, like forbear. How can you forbear with people or forgive people unless you've been with them long enough to be annoyed by them and hurt by them? You don't have to forbear and forgive Woodlawn Presbyterian one week, and then Greenbrier Methodist the next week, and then Sunshine Baptist, and then outpouring on Friday night, and boom, 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 boom. New excited people every week. You don't have to forbear with those people. You just have to go home and not have to see them again for a month or two. So the one another's of the Bible necessarily, necessarily imply knowing and walking with a specific group of people. Hebrews 10.26 Let us spur each other on. Let us not neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. Some among you are not gathering with one another. Let's not neglect that. Well, that doesn't make any sense unless there's a group of people that expect you to not neglect them. In a world where commitment to specific people is often scary, often unattractive, for a number of reasons, the Bible implies commitment to a specific people is the normal expectation of God upon our lives. Commitment long enough that our love means something to one another in our actual experience. Long enough to hurt and forgive one another. Long enough to need one another as he's gifted us to receive from one another. So the one another's imply commitment Membership, whether it's formal or informal, in a local church. Belonging to people over time, through ups and downs. Number two, the concept of the gifts implies commitment to a specific community. The concepts of the gifts. This is very similar to one another's. And we talked a lot about gifts in 1 Corinthians this past year, so I want to be brief. But simply put, the gifts that God gives his people, hospitality, teaching, prophetic words, miraculous healing, leadership, administration, on and on and on, they're always, by Paul, contextualized in the New Testament for us in a specific community of believers who need the gifts from each other. In fact, the clear teaching of 1 Corinthians 12 is that God purposefully, intentionally puts these gifts in people specifically and especially for their use in each other's lives in local churches. Listen to this passage. This is from 1 Corinthians 12. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. Now, is he talking about the universal church all over the earth, or is he talking about the local church here? Well, certainly, he's an apostle. He's not in Corinth most of the time when he's writing this letter, at least in this season. And he's saying he's connected to them. So there's a universal aspect here. Paul, the apostle, roving around and saying, I'm part of you, you're part of me. But how is this actually, in this letter of 1 Corinthians, who's he writing it to? He's writing it to them about their relationships with each other. He's implying... This is what you need to hear in your local church. In other words, God has placed the members, every one of them, in the Corinthian church, just as he desired. God has intentionally put the Corinthian church together, just as he desired. They're not there by accident. They're there because they're needed. They're needed. And they're needed by others in the church. Do you think that? I mean, I, I, I know for some of us, it might be like, I don't know. Am I going to be here really long term? Some of us kind of test the waters for a long time. Some of us come in and come out. But do you know that when you were called to a church, you weren't called to a program. 
to a thing to see. You weren't called to a performance. You weren't called to a biblical speech. You weren't called to an organization to check out and size up and decide if it's going to meet your needs. I'm not saying like there are aspects of that that's involved. But just understand that what God is calling you to, when he's calling you to a local church, are his people. Like souls. Not an organization that has a feng shui and a certain vibe. He's calling you to souls. Eternal souls. To care for those souls. And they need you, he says. And you need them, he says. So yes, be careful about the local church you commit to. But if you're committed to it, then care for it. Are you finding in this church that there are people who are helping you mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ? That needs to be what we're going for. We need to be going for, hey, in this church, people are getting discipleship, young or old. Mike still needs discipleship. Mike Steele. I still need discipleship. I need to tell Jesse and Luke things. And Mike, I called Mike this week, the last week, because my conscience was troubled about a temptation. And I had to call him. I had to get his discipleship. I had to get his care. If that's not your experience, please tell me. I need to help that happen for But, conversely, are you willing to care for people who need your help to help you mature as disciples of Jesus Christ? One of the things that God's done in the last year of our church is bring more young people to our church than we see in the wild. It's beautiful. I love these young people. I love the energy. Luke, up here. No announcements. Killing it. Luke, you just have that marshalling vibe. You know, everybody wants, yeah, Luke. It's just beautiful. You know, Kate, way you lead young people. It's just so excited, so excited. You guys need discipling. You need maturing. You need help. Though, I know you guys aren't done yet. I know others in this church who are young who are. Like, Luke and Kate, you guys might not know how much you need God. I know some people who feel you might. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, guys, there are folks in our church who desperately need discipleship and care. And they know it. And I know it. And the resources around them are too thin right now. And I think there are some of us who can be older brothers and older sisters to these people. So listen, if you're not sure you know how to find care or how to give care right now, please let me help. I will try to help connect you. And one of the things you can do is on May 11th, we're going to begin another season of discipleship relationships. They're just small groups of three people that meet every week or two and talk about truth, life, and prayer for a defined number of months, between probably five months this time. And then, then you, you kind of get released and you scatter to the wind and hopefully start some new groups. But we're going to be doing that. That's a place to get in and care. You can't hide. You can't. It's not easy to be as, as relaxed. You can't eat and just enjoy each other's friendship as easily. It's, it's, but some people aren't like, that's not their thing right now. Uh, they may not need it right now. I understand that. If, if you're too busy, you've got a lot on your hands. I, I'm not trying to talk, you know, but don't let it be because you just don't want to care for people or because you're scared to ask for care for people. Care groups. The steel care group is a beautiful thing for me, my soul. I, I just go there and we just eat and we just say how we're doing and you get prayer right there. You just eat a delicious meal at Amanda's and then you say, here's how my life is going. And then you stop and everyone prays for you. And then you move on to the next person. It's very simple. I just love that format. 
I don't have to worry about other things and leading other things and a bunch of teaching points. You know, I, and there have been other seasons where we do study, but it's just a beautiful thing to go somewhere, be able to open up my heart and get prayer. Point is, though, if you're here and you're in some need of care or you, are, you don't know how to care for others, but you know God wants you to, please talk to me and let me help with that. There are more needs here than, than can sometimes appear to be supplied, but I think God is supplying what we do need, but we have to move through that. Okay, number three, the concept of eldership implies commitment to a specific community of believers. The concept of eldership implies commitment to a specific community of believers. We talked about this a few weeks ago at, at some length, the whole principle and idea of eldership. So, I'll, I'll try to be brief here too, but briefer than I was with gifts. I know there are great churches, a lot of great churches. I still think there are really solid churches in Maryland and Virginia. Like, there are multiple churches in town where people gather in whom Jesus lives. And you also have incredible teachers, like Tim Keller, John Piper, Matt Chandler, whoever your teachers are that you really love, um, Jen Wilkin, um, Nancy Lee DeMoss. Uh, you can grab those people online. So you can, you can go to Reston Bible, then you can go to McLean Bible, and David Platt's there. Then you can, you know, in between work, you can drive and hear Tim Keller and Jen Wilkin, and you, you can, you know, you can get everything abstractly with ever, like we talked about before, with ever really being committed to a believer. You can get leadership gifts and teaching. But as we talked about this a few weeks ago, that's not the biblical picture of what elders are supposed to do. Because if you die today, and if I die today, it's not David Platt or Matt Chandler or John Piper or Nancy Lee DeMoss, who's going to have to give an account for you. The conversation is going to be between God and me. That particular conversation about... I mean, we're all probably going to have to have conversations, as I said before, about this. How did you care for your brothers and sisters? But there's a unique way in which elders have to give an account for the flock under their care that God has ordained. Like, church, leadership, structures are real in the Bible. Like, years ago, I don't know if I told this story, but there was a, a young adult community that was started, and we were hearing a lot about it. This is me and Andrew Pennington. We're, you know, trying to care for some of our singles, and we were hearing about this young adult thing, and I wrote to them, and we wrote to them on Facebook just saying, hey, what's going on over there at this thing? Some of our people are want to know, are, are going, we just want to know what it is. And it was amazing to get their response. Their response was, we don't submit to the authority of men. We submit to the Holy Spirit. We aren't led by men. We're led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, they were like full on. Like, I thought we were gentle. You know, it was probably, Andrew's in the email chain. You know Andrew, you guys remember Andrew's heart is as soft as can be. So we, didn't, we weren't like, what are you doing? We're just like, hey, can we get to know a little bit of what's going on there? And their response was like, your man-centered authority structures have no power over us. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that would be great, except for the Bible. You know, so like not trying to be glib about it, or, but like the Bible calls for this. The Bible calls for elders to watch over your souls. So the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, so now what do you do with that, Right? We live in a culture that really, really has a hard time with organizational religion. You say those words, organized religion, it's, oh, I want something spiritual. Guess what? So does God. But guess what he uses? He uses organized, he uses organized religion. I'm not talking about like vestments and 14 different poses you have to do as you sit in church or else you're going to get kicked out. But I'm talking about an authority structure called elders. Offices like you know, deacons and structures like church discipline, which brings me to my last point. The concept of church discipline implies commitment. The concept of church discipline 
applies even to local church. This is perhaps one of those compelling, sobering arguments for the idea of membership in a local church. You know, since the Bible like never says membership, it talks about members. But it never says have membership classes, have membership forms. But it talks about members. In other words, the implication of Scripture all the time is that people know who they're part of. Like, they know the church that they're part of. And the pastors know who's under their care. Like, when they come before God, you know, what happened to Angela? Well, I don't know. Was she part of our church? That's a bad conversation between a pastor and God. What do you mean, was she part of your church? Did you ask her if she was part of your church? Well, I didn't want to turn her off. You know, she's younger and organized thing and I turns people off. Well, were you her pastor? For a little bit, I guess. Was I? Was I your pastor? I mean, who wants to have that conversation with the Lord? I don't want to have that conversation with Him. And you know what? You don't want to have that conversation with Him. Hey, you had a bunch of churches in your area. Who was your pastor? Well, they none of them believed the Bible. Oh, wait, no, they did. Well, they were all committing affairs and stealing money. Oh, wait, no, that's not true either. I mean, those are good reasons not to have a pastor. He's having an affair, he's stealing money, right? He doesn't believe the Bible. Don't have those pastors. But if there are pastors who are trying, and by God's grace, I'm trying, you know, <laughs> and there are better pastors than me, and if you were to say, I want a better pastor, I would say, eh, but okay, it's okay, because there are better pastors. I'm pretty confident Kenny Kirby of Mountain is probably just a better man than I am. It's okay. I want you to get a pastor. I want you to have that resource in your life. I really do. And I hate the weight of wanting to keep you and cling to you. Like, I don't want that. So, my heart really is like, get to the right place. The other day, I had an interesting heart check with myself. There was somebody who I was wondering, where are they now? And I was worried they were over here at this particular place. And I found my heart very displeased at that prospect. I was like, is that selfishness in me? Because I'm fleshly, man. I can count the mighty men and try to find my identity, as I told you, in church stuff, in churchianity. I totally can. But I was thinking, if they're over there, that was bringing distress to my heart. And I was like, is this just flesh? Because I'm jealous and I'm petty. And then I thought, I kind of did a test. It's like, but what if they were over here? And I thought of this church I love that I think is great. And my heart was great. I mean, I was sad to miss them. But it was a little like Holy Spirit ID check. <laughs> it wasn't just fleshly instincts that were making me concerned about this person, in other words. I was happy to know, Lord, if they're at this church that I know and trust and believe in, my soul rejoices, even though I'm sad that I don't see them anymore. But if they're over here, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm a little bit upset here. I'm jealous. And I think some of that jealousy was for the Holy Spirit. So all I'm trying to say is, you need pastors. God commands you to have them in your life. And also, we need more here. We need more elders. I'm losing track of some of you guys in this season. I'm tired. I have four kids. There's a lot going on. But some of you guys I haven't talked to in longer than I really want to. You know, I, But I can't do it on my own. Like, not the way that I think it should be done. Like, people really knowing you. And so, pray about that. That God would send more people who can disciple. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Big brother who really loves Jesus, a big sister who really loves Jesus, who can watch over and care for you and help me do that. Please pray for that. And also ask God for more elders, like full on. Let's keep asking for more elders. If you come to Tuesday night prayer, you can say, Albert, you said we've got to ask for elders. Let's ask for elders. Last one, church discipline. Please listen carefully. This is going to be brief, but it's deep. In Matthew 16, in a crucial event in redemptive history, Peter confesses, this is what we started with. This whole story with Peter, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on this confession, Peter. Christ, the devil's not going to um, overcome it. And Jesus says this weird thing that people have argued about for 2,000 years. It wasn't weird to Jesus. It's just hard to understand. He says, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Those are the way the verbs work there. It's really cool. You do something on earth, Peter, it will have been done already in heaven. You do something on earth, and heaven is with you 
making it happen even. Did Jesus just make the first pope? Like, does that what just happen? We can go into the, the pronouns and the neuter, male, masculine, non-masculine, and talk about those things. But here's why I think the answer is no, he didn't make the first pope. Because the next time he says those almost same words, he does it to all the disciples. And he's talking about the whole church. In Matthew 18, listen to what Jesus says. He's got the disciples, and he says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Go one-on-one. Don't go talking about other people. Don't go talking about him to others. You go and you deal with that between you and him. And if he listens to you, it's done. You won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, then don't go telling everybody. Take one or two others and appeal, he says, so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. In other words, bring some other people involved, get witnesses to what happened, help them sort it out, help them, let them help you sort it out. And then he says, given that this is, at this point is really sin, because in that process you might find out, oh, well, things are different than we thought. 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Go to, every, go to everybody in the church. And we can talk about whether he really means everybody, but he obviously means widen that group. And he says the church. He doesn't say the apostles. He doesn't say the disciples. He says, tell it to the gathered people of God. That's what that word means, ecclesia. Tell it to the gathering. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, don't consider him to be a Christian in good standing anymore. He's talking about excommunication for the purposes of redemption. And then Jesus says this. He says this. Truly I say to you all, Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. It's the same thing he said to Peter individually. He now says to the whole church. Do you see what Jesus is doing? In Matthew 16, he says, Peter, whatever you loose and bind will have been done in heaven. In Matthew 18, he says it to the whole church. What's the connecting tissue? Why did Jesus say it to Peter? And then why does he say it to the whole church? What's the connecting tissue? The connecting tissue is the revelation of Jesus Christ that was believed. You see what I'm saying? Jesus expands the binding and loosening power from Peter to the church because the authority was never in an individual Peter. It's in the people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where the authority resides. And it was in Peter that day, and that's why Jesus says, boom, the church is being born. And then now he talks about the church, where everyone in there is only together and only committed to each other because they all believe the divine revelation given, which is that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he is our Lord, He is our Savior, and we're going to follow Him. That's why you don't church discipline President Biden or President Trump or whoever the congresswoman or the, the woke, over, over-woke person or the hyper-conservative person. You don't get in a dither about that and lose your life over that stuff because those people aren't in your local community confessing Christ. And you can't hold them, you can't go to your unbelieving coworker who's having a, a same-sex relationship or cheating on his wife and expect him to, to get your morality and to repent. They need to repent to Jesus Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit to do any of that stuff. But those people in your church, they are called to be true to the revelation that was given them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He deserves their full allegiance and loyalty and faithfulness. Those are the people that you are called to watch over. Not just me. We are all called to watch over. Because those are the people who are inside that ark with you. Many others, but you're not called to watch over all of them. Not just not Maxine Waters, but you know, or Donald Trump. You're not called to watch over the people of Mountain View if you're not Mountain View. But you're called to watch over these people in this room and on, on this screen if you're part of this church. You're called to help them stay in Christ 
Because what's at stake? Heaven and hell is at stake. What's at stake? Prevailing against hell. Prevailing against the gates of hell. And again, church discipline makes no sense if you're not part of a local church. I mean, I'd be scared. If I was a Christian and I wasn't part of a local church, clearly, committedly, I'd be scared. Because how can Matthew 18 happen in my life? How can I do it? If people aren't going to come to me and say, where have you been? And why are you sleeping around? And why are you selling drugs? And why are you completely giving up on God? Or whatever you're doing. Or you're, it's obvious that I used these particular things, but why are you believing these crazy things about God? Why are you super selfish for years and years? I mean, I, whatever the categories of concern or care are, I, and I'm talking about negative examples where you were getting in someone's face, and that's uncomfortable, and we don't just go there automatically, we do it gently. But my point is, if God has said, you have to be part of a community where people are going to look after you and take your walk with God seriously, and call you back to him. If you are really strained, like really, I don't, we all have bad days. We struggle with sin all the time. I hope you know I'm not talking about that. But you know, when, when it's on the level category of, of people who will not repent, like will not battle pornography. I'm not saying they'll struggle. They just won't fight it. And it's obvious. And, and no one is going after them. No one's connected to them. That is not what God wants for his church. So I'd be scared if I wasn't concerned about being part of a local church where I knew that people were going to do that for me because that's God's command for his people. And if we can't do that, like we, we shouldn't be a church. So it really brings us to this place of Will we be committed to each other? Like, will we know each other? Will we walk with each other? Or, where do you need to get so that you can do that? Because if it's not here, eventually it needs to be somewhere. That's next week. I'm not saying you come to a church and after a few weeks you figure out when you want to be a member. No, take your time. But, but take God seriously about it. Like, take your time that you need, but take God seriously about it. Because he wants you part of that church. So, where all this is going is that on June 11th? No, what's the date, Randall? What have we got? June 6th, we're going to have a membership day. We're going to talk with people who are not members of this church formally. And I just want to know if you're ready to say, yeah, I'm part of your church. You're part of my church. And it's a way we'll talk about what it means. It's not rocket science. If you've been here for a long time, pretty much you already know what it means. We pray it in the church family prayer every week. We're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna come to a place where for some of you you'll be able to say yeah this is my church I'm part of this church and then you'll come up here after that process and say I'm part of this church and then people who are already members will say yay we love you we're glad you're part of this church welcome um, and if you're if you're you know like Cameron I know you, a lot of you guys we haven't done this in a long time I know you're here I know you're part of the body of Christ I know you belong to Jesus I know you want my pastoral involvement in your life. So I'm not like, keeping you at bay, obviously. But we do have to know, you know, because there are times where I need to be careful, too, that I'm not neglecting people who are saying, like, in my limited time, there are people who are saying, I really need your help, or they do need my help. But I'm spending a lot of my time with people who really don't want that. And I don't know it yet, you know? So... All that's to say, it's important for me, for my heart to know, but it's also important for you guys because God wants you part of a local church. It's a big deal. I hope you can see that. Um, if you guys have any questions about this, please let me know. I realize a lot of this is, is uh, I'm not speaking as... Let me just ask your forgiveness ahead of time. I have really got rocked by this coronavirus second dose. And today might not be the most gentle, eloquent, careful day of preaching. So I love you guys. I love you guys online. Um, 
I, I, I'm just not, I don't feel like I'm as gentle and careful as I would like to be. So if I ruffle feathers today, please know that I feel like I'm not at my best. Um, I don't believe right now I've said anything that's been, as far as I can tell, unbiblical, but it might have just been too clear or too quick. So please come and talk to me about that. No, that's not my heart, but it really isn't. I'm very tired of offending people. <laughs> I don't do it. Um, so, so please, yeah, please let me know. And, and also take this seriously. Like, really, I want you where Jesus wants you. It doesn't have to be living off in the church. But it needs to be somewhere. And take your time and take it seriously. And let it be where they love God. And they really love his word. And they, they really want to love you. Perfectly. So we'll all do it.